This Sunday first is, marks the first day of Advent. It's a time, Advent is really just a time to slow down. The Christmas season is crazy sometimes, all the time, especially if you wait to do your shopping. Yes, you shouldn't. But um, I think we get busy and we get distracted and Advent helps us slow it down. And just reflect upon what the season is really truly about and what it means for us as those who are saved by God's amazing grace. So today we're starting our first of four messages in Advent. So let's uh, open up our time in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for the time that we have to just worship you as a family. Lord, let us be reminded this very day that we are called to proclaim the very hope that we have that is only through your son, Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who grew up, who died for our sins, and three days later rose again. Lord, what an amazing hope. Not the type of hope that could be taken away from us, but a hope that is sure and firm. Lord, we thank you for Advent and the time that we can take to just slow down and reflect upon what you have done for us. So, Father, as we open up your word today, as we continue to worship you, Lord, I pray that you are indeed glorified. I pray that I speak of you and praise your name. And, Lord, there's no gifting that can make this turn out well, Lord, but we know that you can through your spirit. So, God, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power, appropriate affection. And, Lord, please use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. Thanks again, Rebecca, for bringing that up. I just love hearing about what God is doing throughout the world. It can get so disheartening when we live in Canada sometimes. God is still moving. He's living and active, and he's doing awesome and amazing things throughout this world. Let us continue to pray for her and all the other translators who are bringing the word of God to these people groups. We'll be in Isaiah, jumping around a few chapters, starting in Isaiah chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Isaiah chapter 7. We'll be in verses 10 to 14. And then we'll be over in chapter 9. And then we'll be over in chapter 11. So we're going to bounce around a little bit and take a break from the uh, expository, working through, the, through a passage, verse by verse, today. As we just reflect upon Jesus during this Advent season. So, Isaiah 7, verses 10, says this. <clears throat> Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself <clears throat> will give you a sign. Oh, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
in chapter 11, verses 1 to 5. Come forth the shoots from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And this delight, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he, his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with equity the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This is the word of the Lord. Not too long ago, I would say for some people, it was a long time ago, uh, I got married. Before you get married, you get engaged. That's kind of how things work. Before that, you date, usually. Um, usually. But uh, I remember when I, I was going to ask Stephanie to marry me, I, I planned it out. Actually, I took a few months to think it through and plan it, and it caused quite a few arguments, but we won't get into that. But uh, as I was sitting there planning it through, you know, I had a process in my mind of what I needed to do in order to get to this point wedding day. And then at the wedding day, as my, our premarital, uh, our, my friend, Dr. Housen, often reminded us during our counseling was, it's not just about the day, it's, it's about the life that comes out of that and preparing us for that as well. But there took a lot of planning. I don't know, most people, I, I like to plan things. I like to think things through and, and try and, and, and foresee what could happen and what possibly could happen. And, and we need to, and when it comes to even a wedding, you know, if you want people to come, you need to invite people, right? Um, and if, if you don't invite people, and inviting people actually involves some sort of planning, you know, we, we plan for all sorts of things in our lives. It might be retirement. It might be saving money for school. It might be, hey, what am I going to eat for lunch uh, tomorrow? Um, you know, like I do all the time. What restaurant are we going to go to today? You know, there's a lot of things that come into planning. But here, when we look at Isaiah, we see that God's plan is beginning to unfold as he begins to speak to the people of Israel. See, what is happening here in Israel at this moment is that they're really, really scared. This big, mean country called Assyria is about to come in and just wipe them out. So the question comes for King Ahaz, who we learn about in 2 Kings, is an awful, awful, awful man. Awful. Evil. He's described as doing evil in the sight of God. Like, he's just bad. God reminds him in this first part here, seven who are you going to trust in so he comes out in verses 10 he says again the lord spoke to ahaz ask a sign of the lord your god let it be as deep as sheol or high as heaven but ahaz giving this perception that oh i need to be pious i need to be humble before god he gives it's all hypocritical because if you know the story ahaz has already put his trust in something else He's put his trust in Assyria to protect him from his enemies that are around him. 
So he says, but Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to test. So Ahaz refuses to ask for a promise. And God, because God doesn't need permission to do whatever he wants, he's God. What a concept. Says, fine, I'm not going to tell you. I'll tell the people. I'm going to tell the people about this hope. In this, in this time of fear, of uncertainty, I will tell them what is about to happen, what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell them my plan. As he continues on, he says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to, to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In verses 1 to 2, we see that this country named Assyria is growing stronger and begins to threaten other nations. So this is taking place in Judah, and Israel is in the north, and Syria is to the south, and they team up together to, to, to try and defeat Assyria because they're just becoming bigger. And they try to bully Judah into joining their coalition of, of countries to fight Assyria, and Judah says, no, nah, that's not happening. In turn, Judah goes, uh, Ahaz, king of Judah, goes to, to Assyria and says, hey, these guys are going to attack me. Come and attack them. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of money, and you come and attack them. The problem was is that this trust that Ahaz was putting in was also going to be his downfall. See, God sends Isaiah to meet the king. And Isaiah gives the king a message of hope. Don't worry about Syria. Don't worry about Israel. They will be defeated in 65 years. And it came true. Assyria came and defeated them all. Both countries, gone, wiped off the place, wiped off the map. But Ahaz's failure to trust God eventually brings Assyria to his doorstep. In fact, his unbelief in God destabilized everything for him, not just his religious life. Ahaz chose to put his hope for salvation in human power rather than in God himself. So we come to verses 10 to 11, which, which is taking place during the reign of Ahaz, who did continually, who continually did evil in the sight of the Lord. So God comes and he asks him this question, hey, you want a sign? Ask for it. I'm going to give it to you. So think about it. If you could ask God for any sign in the entire world, what would you ask? To know that what he is promising is indeed true. Would you do it? Ahaz didn't. He had the opportunity. And he fakes being pious by refusing the sign. And this is shown in how he actually doesn't trust God to deliver him. He's putting his faith in this other country. So God calls Ahaz and all of his people to put their firm foundation, their firm faith, in a far more reliable ally. In verse 14, we see the Lord himself. But he refuses that sign. And God changes his attention to give hope to the nations, to give hope to Israel. No longer is God just talking about delivering them from temporal things but eternal things. God will deliver his people from what truly is enslaving them. 
by sending a child. In verse 14, God was, was going to reveal his plan regardless of what Ahaz was going to say. He be, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. When we look at this, this noun, it's a singular noun. He's, we're not talking about any person. We're, God has a specific woman in mind with a specific child in mind. He knows exactly what's going to happen here. And the child that's going to come will be Emmanuel. God would be with his people to defend them from their enemies if they would just trust him in faith. But this is more than just a figure of speech. In Jesus, it has become a fact. God has become a human being and is with us in every respect except one. He cannot commit sin. But as we look at this passage, it's easy to come along and think, wait a second, so God, God gave up his divinity in order to become human. That is false. Jesus was always God. He always was that, is that. The same person who created the world that we see in John 1, the same one who sustains everything, was the same one that became a baby. He added to himself humanity. It's mind-blowing that the creator of this universe humbled himself, as Philippians 2 says, to become like us, to become a child. God promises a child who will deliver us from our enslavement. enslavement. This wasn't mere circumstances, but a plan of redemption to, to rescue us. The child will be able to deliver from our greatest enemy because he is almighty God. As we see later on, the promised child will be mighty God. The, the, the promised child will not be an ordinary child, but almighty God himself. We see this in, in Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. <clears throat> so let's continue on with Ahaz. See, the first paragraph in this section introduces the future righteous Davidic king who will bring a period of light and peace to God's people. This figure is not directly or, or, or necessarily against the idea of who King Ahaz, but for sure the light, the joy, the peace of this era is in sharp contrast to the war and distress and darkness that marks Ahaz's reign. The peace and justice that the future ruler will establish is also contrary to the sinful pride and oppression that led to this downfall that would eventually happen with Israel and Judah. The spiritual gloom that is so evident in the world of Israel at this moment will be dispelled forever by the light of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he can do this because he's almighty God. Verse 6, we see, for to us a child is born. This deliverer is a child. His name was not, and when we look at his name, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, these aren't titles that are given to any king. 
No king would be arrogant enough to adopt these titles for himself. This was for a special child who would be born. But this child would be born for us. As that verse, first sentence says, for to us a child is born. He was sent for the people of God. And the prophecy continued, a son will be given to us. While born by natural childbirth, he also was a gift of God. He was born and given. And this is all satisfied in Jesus Christ. He was both 100% man and 100% God. You can't divide these things. For the mathematician, you're like, wait, what? 100%, 100% means 200%. doesn't work. That's the wonderful thing about God. He would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. All of these four titles show the totality of this child's royal power. He would be counselor. This child is his own counselor and doesn't need to be counseled. Just as God didn't need anyone to counsel him on how to create the world or how to plan for the nations, so this child will be counselor. He'll be everlasting father. He will provide for his people and protect them forever. He'll be prince of peace. He'll be the source of peace. More than mere absence of conflict, but is talking about how there will be no issue left unresolved. See, verse 7, we come this, of the increase of his government and of, uh, and of peace, there will be no end. Isaiah focuses this messianic hope on the heir of David. There will be no end. It will continue to go on. The final victory is a miracle accomplished with the, with the passion and intensity of what is only the Lord of hosts is capable of. Isaiah gives us more than insight into Jesus, the coming Messiah. He did this by offering hope to those facing invasion by the Assyrians. They've been facing dark times, but the light has dawned. And this hope would come through a future king. Not some mere human, but God himself. This is the same hope that is offered to you today. The Christian can withstand any circumstances because they have a sure hope. Would you want to know this hope today? Look to the child, born of a virgin, who, he along, who, who alone is able to heal the brokenness and forgive our sins. The birth of Jesus wasn't mere circumstances. It was a plan. It was planned by God to send a child who will be almighty God. God will also judge righteously. As Isaiah continues on in, in chapter 11, the promised child will be a David who will judge with righteousness. It's such a great Christmas passage. You know, the thing that bewilders me, every Christmas, every Christmas, it just mind, 
all year, I can't talk about God. I can't talk about Jesus. I can't talk about his saving grace. And then all of a sudden, for like sometimes way too long, like 60 days, should be more like 30 days, uh, we, we hear these Christmas carols on the radio that are singing all about who Jesus is. That he's come to save us. But even in those circumstances, we're still not allowed to address that Jesus had to actually save us from something. No one seems to understand the logic here. We can't keep singing all these songs about how baby Jesus came to be a baby to save us from something unless we address the logical statement here that what is he saving us from? So we look at these verses here. See, in chapter 10, Isaiah spoke of how God would would chop off the branches of of the great tree of Assyria. And at some point, though, the tree of Jesse, David's father, would would experience a similar fate as only only the stump is remaining, as we see here. The stump of Jesse. But here's the thing. God is also a promise-keeping God. So what about all of God's promises to Abraham and to King David? If there's only a stump, well, what happens to his promises? A branch would arise from the roots of the stump and bear fruit. Though God's people would face judgment and be cut down, he wasn't finished with them. A descendant of David would arise and have perfect access to the Spirit of the Lord. This included wisdom and understanding. His knowledge would be perfect, causing him to make right decisions. Isaiah uses this, this amazing imagery of, of a dead. We, we, we can, you've probably walked through a park and you've seen this imagery. You think of something that is dead. It's been chopped down and then all of a sudden you see this little green thing popping up right in the middle. You think it's done. You think it's dead. And God says, no, not quite. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A shoot was a small reed, just a twig. And of course, the stump implies that the tree is dead and has been cut down. So these verses teach us that the line of David was on its way out until Jesus Christ himself steps into the scene. All the promises that God promises to Abraham and David are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Assyrians had all but destroyed the kingdom of Judah, but it was Babylonians who brought Judah to an end later on. This this line of David seemed to be decimated. Nothing left And Isaiah looked beyond his his people's trials to the glorious kingdom that would be established when the Messiah, the tender shoot from a seemingly dead stump, would come and rise. And righteousness will be his belt, will be his belt of his waist. This planned child will be the judge in all righteousness. Decisions will be based true nature of his heart. There's no status or money or political influence that will derail him from this perspective on justice. This reign of justice will require, though, the condemnation of wickedness. 
someone can't be a righteous judge if they just prop up those who have been taken taken uh, those who have been taken advantage of without addressing the wickedness. See, there will be a removal at some point. The righteous character of the Messiah will enable him to do the right thing in all circumstances while faithfully, while his faithfulness will ensure his constant dependability. He will display the perfect character of God because of the divine spirit gifts that will hang like clothes around him. So here's the thing. There is and was a plan, a rescue plan from the very beginning. God knows our desperate state. He knows our brokenness. The birth of Jesus wasn't mere circumstance. It was a plan by God to send his son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, who is God himself, who is the only one capable of paying the price for our sin, for our rebellion, who is the only one capable of making things right and makes it right himself by becoming the sacrifice for our sin. Christ died for our sins and rose again. The birth of Jesus wasn't mere circumstance. It was a plan. By God to send a child who will be mighty God, who will judge in all righteousness. When it comes to a plan, that means there wasn't recklessness. Does that make sense? It wasn't something that was haphazard. It was planned out. God's love wasn't reckless, it was relentless. It was planned out from the very beginning of time. Since sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, when it, when it, when it affected us like a poison, like a cancer, and it infiltrated everything, God began a plan to rescue us from that. When we're singing about baby Jesus, we're not just singing about a baby. We're singing about our Messiah, our Savior, the one who saves us from our sin, our brokenness, so that anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior will be saved. He is our hope. That is what Christmas is about. That is what Advent is about. It's about slowing us down and just helping us reflect upon the greatness of our God. The birth of Jesus wasn't mere circumstance. It was a plan by God. Just as much as you plan to do simple things in life, God mounted a rescue plan for the beginning when sin entered the world. He did this by sending his son, born of a virgin woman, who is both 100% God, 100% man, who will judge in righteousness. You know, there's a, there's a funny, have you guys ever heard of the skit guys? They're, they're a Christian skit troupe. Is that what they call them? Skit troupe. Sure. 
So two guys who make this, they make very funny Christian videos that you can use for sermon illustrations and stuff like that. I'm not that. And uh, he, they come along and they have this video where uh, the two men are, are decorating the tree and they begin to have a conversation about Jesus. So often we get disconnected between baby Jesus and the same Jesus who was an adult, who walked on water, who raised the dead from the dead to life, who, who died for our sins. There is no disconnect. This is a plan. It's a funny video. I encourage you to go watch it if you want to laugh. The birth of Jesus was all part of God's plan for him to bring salvation and to bring righteousness. So the question becomes this, is how will you actively trust the sovereign plan of God this week? We need to praise him. God has intricately planned the glorious act of salvation. Praise God for how he has perfectly planned uh, everything and put everything to place so long ago to bring you to salvation. If you are a child of God, he planned that. And as people who have been saved by God, we are called to go and preach this good news of Jesus Christ. Let's ask God for the opportunities to share the good news of, of Jesus Christ with someone this Advent season. God will supply the wisdom, the compassion, the courage, and wisdoms and, and words if you, are, if you would just be sensitive and obedient to his call. This was not a mere circumstance. This was a plan for God to send a child who is almighty God, who will judge in all righteousness. Anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior will be saved. Christmas is awesome because the Savior has been born. In the, in the rush and the hustle of the Christmas season, I encourage you to take time to, re, to reflect upon these things. As a family, we walk, we're going to be walking through um, an Advent calendar just to slow us down and to point my children to why it's not just about presents are fun. I'll never preach against that. I like presents. But the greatest gift is not the, the gifts under the tree of temporal things where kids are eventually going to break it or outgrow it or not care about it. The greatest gift is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that came through a child who God himself stepped down from his throne, born of a virgin, who grew up to die for us and three days later rose again. Outside of that, there is no hope. So let us go out and proclaim that hope as we continue to sing and worship him today.